people are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial 519. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And we're joined by one of our Facebook official patrons this week, Amalia. Hi, Amalia. Hi, guys. How you doing? I'm doing good. It's a bit late here in Norway, but except for that, I'm good. Podcasting from Norway. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm 25. I just moved. Uh, so I moved from Bergen, where I live with my parents, and now I'm in Oslo for work. Uh, I have a master's degree in chemical engineering, so that's fun. And uh, Damn, you're smart. Well, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> The show just got 20 times smarter because you're here. Definitely. <laughs> I have a master's in nothing. <laughs> <laughs> master's in hard knocks. <laughs> so you recently moved out of your parents' house. I know you were living solo, but then so you moved back. Why did you move back? Well, I graduated and then I didn't get a job. So you I sound was like broke. an American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um there's some parallels. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, so I could either either like use all my savings or I could move home and uh, yeah. But now you're free again. Yeah, it's good. And speaking of parallels, later today we are going to talk about how uh, right wing extremism has made its way over to Europe. Uh, we'll discuss that later in today's episode. <sighs> Ladies, I have had two very interesting things happen to me in the past twenty four hours. I was looking at our dock this time yesterday and shooting the shit was empty. And I was like, I have nothing to add. And then in the next 24 hours, I had two (laughs) big things come in (laughs) to my life. So first of all, Pat and I went to New Jersey to visit my parents and my nephew. And by the way, he is vaccinated. I can confirm Fox News did not get to my brother-in-law too much concerning (laughs) vaccinations, apparently. (laughs) So Pat and I were in New Jersey and uh, we had a late flight on Sunday. So Sunday night, my mom, Pat and I went to get burgers at a place called Zinn Burger. And Pat and I got dropped off at the airport. We're sitting in the airport. We got there really early. And I'm like, I'm going to get a drink. Pat, you want a drink? Pat's like, no, I'm uh, not feeling well. I get my drink. Pat goes to the bathroom. Comes back out. He said he threw up. Uh Uh-oh. Goes back in the bathroom. Comes back out. Goes back in the bathroom. Comes back out. Pat got food poisoning. Oh, no. (laughs) Zinn Burger? Uh, Apparently from Zinn Burger. Yes. Do not eat at Zinn Burger. Okay. We have those here. I'll uh, start (laughs) avoiding them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it surprised us because my mom and I did not get food poisoning, but we had already gone through airport security and Pat was vomiting out of both holes. Yeah, you know, mouth and butt. And this guy, I got to give him credit. He walks into the bathroom and walks out of that bathroom. He carries himself like he does not have food poisoning. If that was me, I'd be screaming running into the bathroom and I'd be be a fucking mess. This is my biggest fear with air travel is having to throw up and not being well on the plane. Right, right. So, So, you know, this just kept happening and the flight was getting closer and closer. And I said to Pat, you know, what we could do is we could just stay the night here in Philly. The The airport has a hotel attached to it. I can get us a room there. 
Um, and that's ultimately what we decided to do because I did not want him on, on an airplane, you know, shitting in his seat. <laughs> Next to you. <laughs> Next to me. I don't need people thinking that was me. Um, but anyway, so, so that's what we did. Uh, but, but the other benefit was, and this was honestly a big factor, was that the flight was taking off just as Game of Thrones was going to air. And I said, well, look at it this way. At least you'll be able to watch Game of Thrones in peace tonight. So um, that was an interesting experience. We had to rebook the flights and everything. So I ended up, we ended up flying today. And then, so I got back today and Pat's still recovering as we speak. Um, but, you know, uh, I mentioned in the Facebook group that I've been looking for more podcast editing gigs. I'm trying to pursue that as a bigger side hustle because I enjoy it. So I have um, reached out to a few people who have made posts on Upwork. Have you all heard of Upwork? Mm-hmm. That's not it's a where- thing we have here. <laughs> okay. It, it's where you can uh, find people with with skill sets that you're looking for. So if you need to hire somebody for a job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I saw a post. Hey, we're looking for an editor. We want you to record the podcast for us. We're going to give you a script. It's going to be two. It was very specific. We're gonna get. We're gonna give you two scripts a week, twenty-two minutes per podcast, and we're gonna pay you sixteen hundred a month. I thought, great, what? sounds good, good deal. That's crazy. But it, you know, it made sense to me. Four hundred dollars a week. That seemed about right for me to record, edit, and release the podcast. So they send me a check for podcasting equipment because they wanted me to buy the. Po- they wanted me to buy new podcasting equipment. And Laura and Pam, I told you guys about this. I was like, they want me to buy podcasting equipment. Isn't that fucked up? I have podcasting equipment. But they were like, no, no, no. We need you to buy this podcasting equipment. We want the best. I'm like, all right. So they sent me a check for $400. So that's the first week of work plus $2,000 for the equipment. So I can order the equipment. I get the check. I cash the check. They say, oh, wait, you know what? We want to order the equipment because we want to order it through a certain vendor in case it breaks or whatever. I'm like, okay, fine. These people are annoying, but whatever. So, and here comes my first mistake. They said, can you wire the money? So I wire them $2,000. A couple days goes by. They claim to order the equipment. I was in New Jersey over the weekend. I wasn't really focusing on it. They said the the equipment should be there over the weekend while you're out of town because I mentioned to them I would be out of town. So I get back here. I'm like, where's the equipment? It's not here. I asked my neighbors, hey, did you guys find a box? Nope. I text them. I'm like, hey, can you send me a tracking number for the equipment? I don't have it. I go into my Chase bank account shortly after that. I see that the $2,500 check that I had deposited actually ended up bouncing. Oh. Meanwhile, my wire oh, no. also went through. <laughs> so you see what happened? Oh my I got God. Wow. fucking scammed. Two th- I'm out $2,000. Legit. And they haven't contacted you, haven't been able to reach them again. Haven't been able to reach them. Texted, wow. called, no answer. Their fucking profile on Upwork is gone. <gasps> I looked at the check. I took a close, closer look at the check. It, it, it was made out to this company in South Carolina. I find them online. I call them. He originally doesn't answer, but he calls me back. At this point, I, I know it was a scam. He calls me back. This guy has been getting calls from multiple people who have also been scammed from this by this person because this person is somehow creating fake checks with a real company. 
Oh, the poor guy. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. yeah so um, I'm in a mood today. <laughs> I'm I don't too blame bad. you. I mean, I'm yeah. assuming you've contacted your bank to let them know that this. Yeah. Was a scam. I mean, is there anything they've been able to do to like So here's the thing. Once the wire goes out, you know, it's you know, after it completes, the money's gone. It's at the other bank. So now I started a a wire clawback or something where Chase is gonna call the other bank and say to them, Hey, this is what happened because I filled them in on on everything. Can we actually get this money back? Now I'm guessing the scammer is pretty good. That money has is probably gone from that bank now too. It's probably even in another bank. So we'll see what happens. I I don't have faith I'm gonna get this money, but uh Andrew, you should name these people. Who? I mean whoever it was you were in contact with. What like on air? Yeah. Well, it was probably fake names. I mean, you never know. Like maybe you can get a coalition of people who've been scammed by the same person. And we can yeah. piecemeal together details about their identity. I'm outraged on your behalf. Me too. Yeah, I want to track you. them down. Yeah. I'm so but sad. I, I hate to say this, but this is um, a good lesson for everybody to just, you know, yes. make sure that check clears first. My mom yes. tells me this all the time because, as I've said before, my mom's a banker. She's been banking for 30 years. And this is like, you're not alone. Like, this is a, pr- a common problem that she runs into, um, like, Weekly. Yeah. You know? I I thought you were going to say that they were money laundering. uh, And they were using you to money launder because of the wire transfer. uh, I'll I'll be happy to do that as long as I get to keep the money. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the timing of everything was weird. Like, the the check did clear. Well, I thought it cleared. I don't know. It looks like it cleared to me. And then the wire happened on April 30th. The the check didn't actually bounce until May third. It's really strange. I don't fully understand it. But this guy's name on Upwork, if it matters, is Gregory Richards. But yeah, P- Pam, to your point, um, my lesson here is: do not wire any money. Yeah, <laughs> that, do not. All right, Gregory Richards, I'm looking for you, bitch. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm thinking of doing. Lord, out for blood. You know what I'm thinking of doing. I'm, I'm thinking of calling, so I can call this number and it goes to voicemail. I'm thinking of calling it from another number or texting it and just being like, "Hey, where do I wire the money?" Because he won't know it's me, but he'll know it's somebody who's looking to wire money. So he'll think it's one of the people he's scamming. Like turning you know. into a vengeful secret agent. Um, can we do this on the show? Like, can you yeah. call from, from the, the show, show phone number, number? <laughs> just so we can <laughs> hear all of this play out on air? <laughs> like right now? I mean, I mean maybe not, not right now, now, but like give it another week or so for <laughs> yeah. to settle so he's not suspicious and he's moved True. on to other victims and has forgotten about you. And then we can do like a whole tell all yeah. on this podcast and burn this person's life to the ground yeah yeah we can do it <laughs> next week we'll do it next week okay yeah, so. good so yeah i'm uh i'm in a mood today but i don't uh, blame you i'm <laughs> so sorry yeah thanks thanks i'll let everybody know what what chase ends up doing right now i'm just like in shock that i was fooled you know he was so specific and he was so like i did actually speak to him on the phone once or twice I don't know. It just all felt so real to me. It all added up. Anyway, speaking of uh, drama and scandal, what's going on in DC, Laura? 
So there have been some updates about Mueller or about the Mueller report and Attorney General um, William Barr over the past week. Um, it turned out that after Barr released that four page letter that we talked about in March that sort of summarized the report and exonerated the president on um, counts of collusion and obstruction of justice, Mueller actually wrote a letter to Barr. And there's some really interesting tidbits in that letter, but the most interesting is this one. It says, and quote, the summary letter the department sent to Congress and released to the public late in the afternoon of March 24th did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of this office's work and conclusions. There is now public confusion about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. So that happened. And last week, Barr testified uh, in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee for four hours. Um, he then, he was supposed to testify in front of the House Judiciary Committee the following day, last Thursday. He backed out of it last minute. And he also missed a, a subpoena deadline for last Wednesday to turn over the unredacted Mueller report. He just like flagrantly was like, yeah, I know that I've been subpoenaed and I know I have this deadline, but I'm just not going to do it. So they've now extended that deadline <laughs> until today. And let me guess, he didn't meet it. I've heard nothing. <laughs> I don't I don't know what you guys have heard. <laughs> you know, the Trump administration has discovered something incredible that's been lying hidden forever. Uh, you can not follow rules in D.C. and get away with it. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, people just don't know what to do because they're so used to working with people who respect the institution that yeah. they wouldn't think of disregarding a subpoena deadline. <laughs> but right. when when people do, they're like, wait, what do we do about this when they just don't, they don't, you know, follow the rules. And the other freaky thing about this is that originally last week, the president was saying that it should be up for the attorney general to decide whether or not Mueller should testify. And now, of course, he's coming out and saying Mueller shouldn't testify at all. And we thought this was really important to bring up. We've really been trying to not talk about this administration as much recently and be sure to like provide more balanced focus on topics across the show. But looking at stuff like this, just complete disregard for our constitution and our establishment and our system. Um, it's not normal. And mm -hmm. while we can definitely steer clear of all of the palace intrigue and the stupid shit that he puts on Twitter um, this is stuff that we really can't avoid. We need to continue establishing that this is not normal. And this is why you need to fucking vote next year. Yeah. Please, for the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> Amalia, is there a lot of coverage over there about Mueller or Trump? Uh, yeah, there's a lot, uh, actually. The, like all the newspapers have been following the Mueller report. Trump is like kind of we're kind of terrified and kind of just watching it like a soap opera. So uh, a lot of, yeah, it's on, it's on all the news channels all the time. Mm -hmm. We're so but sorry. 
Yeah, but I was actually wondering about what the consequences would be if he just keeps ignoring it. Or you just don't know because it shouldn't happen. I mean, that's a great question. I know um, Nancy Pelosi was talking last week about holding Barr in contempt of Congress, but we haven't really heard anything about that either. I wish that that I had more news. Yeah, yeah. But this this goes back to what I was saying a couple minutes ago, is that the Trump administration has realized that you can actually just not follow directions and get away with everything. It doesn't matter. It just, you, you don't have to, because nothing's going to happen. Yeah, for as long as we have spineless people sort of at the helm of our country that allow nothing to happen. I mean, that said, they pretty much run everything. He's also packed the courts with Trump sympathizers. So even if the people who are on our side stepped up and did something, it would probably fall flat. Watch this space. It's time now for a word from our first sponsor of the week. They are Harry's. Harry's makes shaving an enjoyable experience. I've been using them for a few years now. I'm never switching to anyone else. They've got high-quality razor blades and other great grooming products. I love Harry's because they give me a close shave, a comfortable glide, and a reliable product. Harry's offers a simple, clean design with quality, durable blades at a fair price. If you don't believe me, just look online. They've received over 20,000 five-star reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Plus, Harry's replacement cartridges are just $2 each. That's half the price of the Gillette Fusion Pro Shield. And you know they believe in their product because they have a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't like the shave, it's no problem. You just let them know and you'll get a full refund. So really, this is a no-brainer. I want you to get the Harry's trial set. You're going to love them and then switch and you'll never go anywhere else. Get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Uh, That trial set includes the weighted ergonomic handle, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So everything you need to take it on the go. Listeners of our show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash M-I-L-L. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash M-I-L-L to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. Okay, time now for a couple of emails. Pam, could you take the first one? Sure. This one comes from Ariana, who says, Hi, guys. I'm a big fan of your show and a longtime listener. I was just listening to your most recent episode where you were chatting about Amazon rolling out free one-day shipping. I'm not sure if that was an ad or not, but I wanted to share this episode from the New York Times podcast, The Daily, where they interview this woman from one of the shipping headquarters that Amazon uses. It's not run by Amazon, but Amazon is one of their biggest customers. I'm not sure if you're a listener of the podcast, but this particular episode discusses the effects and working conditions surrounding this new instant gratification mindset we live in. I honestly had never thought about the ramifications of choosing the one-day delivery option before listening to this episode, and I was horrified after learning what can go on behind the scenes. I'm still a frequent customer of Amazon, and when I really do need something urgently, I do choose the one-day delivery option. The difference is now I really stop and think if I actually need the item the next day, and the truth is I usually don't. Here's a link to the episode, and if you're able to share this info with people, it could really hopefully make even the tiniest bit of difference. I hope I didn't sound too preachy. Thanks for all the amazing podcasts you're all a part of. I always look forward to them. Ariana. So first of all, our discussion on Amazon was not an ad. (laughs) 
unless we say it's a sponsor, it is not an ad. We were very kind toward Amazon on the last episode because just honestly, you know, we all personally love the, the, how convenient it is. One thing we did fail to acknowledge is that yes, they do have a lot of problems. I mean, this issue aside that Ariana brought up, they're also killing brick and mortar and that's a huge problem. I hate seeing stores close down. I hate seeing mom and pop shops close down because of Amazon and other online retailers. To the point about this podcast in which we hear from a woman who works in one of the shipping headquarters that Amazon uses, that is not right. It's not right that they are uh, working these long, hard hours. And one thing I, I wanted to bring up last week but just didn't have time for was that I have noticed... Over the past year or so, it's probably been going on for longer, but just living here in Chicago now, I'll see Amazon delivery people out till like eight or nine o'clock at night. And I wonder, like, how long have they been working every day? And my guess is they are working long ass hours because we all know that everybody's ordering from Amazon and they just got to try to keep up with the demand. Um, so I, I do feel bad, but... Um, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that Amazon will hire more workers so there's less load on the individuals. Same. I also think this is an interesting observation because it really forces us to sort of hold the mirror up to ourselves and see our own hypocrisies. Um, I say that as somebody who really loves Amazon and orders from them frequently, but when they were scouting new sites for their corporate offices and they were looking in Atlanta, I was like, oh, please, God, no, don't come here. <laughs> please don't come here. Our traffic's already terrible. Cost of living is already way too high. And Amazon coming into this city would just exacerbate both of those problems and probably add some unforeseen consequences. So definitely love Amazon, but I sure as hell didn't want them in my city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amalia, do you use Amazon over there? Is it big? Um, not really. Uh, it's a bit, the shipping is a bit expensive. Oh, you don't get uh, free shipping? No, not free shipping. Uh, and actually we have like this system in Norway where you have to, if an item is worth, I don't know, like over 30 bucks, so maybe more like 20 bucks, you have to pay a tax on it if it comes from outside of Norway. So Ew. you actually end up, yeah, you end up paying more money. It's it's supposed to be like so people buy things within Norway and don't order from like the UK and the US and Amazon uh, stuff. Mm, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but, but everything there... in Norway takes a long time to to ship. So uh, yeah. So is online ordering in general just not a big thing over there, or are oh, there big uh, online retailers? There are a lot of um, big ones, and. Um, eBay is pretty popular because things are so cheap that you can usually get things like under the limit. Hmm. So, uh, but like yeah, when but you no, need to order um, like mouthwash or like an everyday brand new item. Oh, um, no, that's not really a thing. Oh. You go to the store. That sounds archaic. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to drive here. So it's like, you can just, usually you can just go outside unless you live in the country. So, uh, what do you mean you can just walk because there's plenty of stores nearby? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, like, I live in a city, but I'm still ordering from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I probably would if I could. I mean, yeah. like, we just got, um, uh, I know you guys have Postmates and stuff. So we just got, like, something that is similar to Postmates. 
Oh, okay. And yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Ariana, for sending that in. We have a confessional now. Hi, guys. Longtime listener from Singapore. I recently started dating this guy from Dallas, and I finally plucked up the courage to ask... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> this what? person's from Singapore, but is dating somebody in da- from Dallas? I'm a little confused. Well, All right. I mean, he might be from Dallas, but living in Singapore. Fair, fair. I didn't realize that when I stopped at everything. Anyway, started dating this guy from Dallas, and I finally plucked up the courage to ask him what his views on politics are, because I was curious. But he told me that he didn't vote in the last election, and he will also probably not vote in the next one. I was really confused, because here it's kind of compulsory for us to vote when you're eligible to do so. But he says that his reason was that since the Republican Party usually wins in his state, he doesn't see a point or any reason why he should vote. I know after listening to you guys that every vote matters. So how do I make him see that participating in this democratic process is important, Laura? Oh, man. I'm, first of all, I'm so sorry. That must be really frustrating to deal with. Um, I would say the best way to try and engage somebody on this topic is to start local. I think when people think about federal elections, like for president, sometimes they can feel like a number that gets lost in the shuffle. And that sort of encourages people not to participate because they don't think their vote matters. Or like he lives in Texas, which is a very red state, um, and is very heavily Republican controlled. So again, he might feel the same way there. But a good way to look at it is to start engaging him on the topics he has strong feelings about. Like, does he have student loans? Does he hope to be a property owner one day? Um, Is he already a property owner? And how are his property taxes? Um, What sorts of issues do his family members face? Are any of them chronically ill? Are any of them uninsured? All of these things tie straight back to politics and show exactly why who you vote for does matter. And in his case, if he... looks into these issues, and he finds that the Republican Party serves he and his family well on these issues, then that's his prerogative. And you can at least sleep at night knowing that although he may be voting uh, in favor of ideologies that perhaps aren't your ideologies, at least he understands what he's voting for. And that's all you can ask for. But usually when people start understanding what they're voting for, you start to see a change or a shift in voting behaviors. Mm -hmm. So I would start there. Just start asking him what kinds of issues he sees or his family sees on a regular basis and go from there. Thank you. Great (laughs) points, but... Here's what I'm thinking. If he didn't vote while he was living here in the States, now he's over in Singapore. Is he going to care about property taxes and insurance and all this? We're just assuming that. Maybe he's a businessman that goes back and forth a lot. Depending on, like, I mean, for example, I'm not saying that this is that person, but um, a lot of people in Texas uh, are employed by the oil industry. So they do a lot of international travel. Like, we don't know. She didn't give us deets. Also, presumably, um, he has family in the states doesn't love him very much if he's over in singapore (laughs) hey hey i lived abroad for a couple years (laughs) and i still voted 
Yeah, yeah. And voting from abroad is not difficult to do, so there's no excuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well... Good luck. Hope that helps, emailer. Yeah. Let us know what happens. And send us in more info about this relationship between Dallas and Singapore. Because I... Okay, so I know I know you guys are coming up with answers here. But I'm also wondering, is he in the Singapore for the long haul? If not, don't date him. He's not worth it. He doesn't vote. And he's not hanging around in your country. Maybe it's casual dating. There's nothing wrong with that. Could be. Make sure he's not scamming you. Don't wire him any money. <laughs> Time for a couple news items now. What's going on, Pam? Okay, we're going to start with the uh, lovable Sega video game character, Sonic the Hedgehog, who's gearing up to, I don't think, make his big screen debut, because I feel like there's been another Sonic movie, but this is like the newest iteration of Sonic, and he's heading to the silver screen. Uh, unfortunately, when the trailer dropped last week, Sonic got slammed by haters online, and now he's set to get a makeover before he hits theaters later on this year. So um, the first trailer dropped online on, I believe, May 1st or April 30th. And the director tweeted out two days later. Like, that's how bad these comments <laughs> got. Uh, the director tweeted, thank you for the support and the criticism. The message is loud and clear. You aren't happy with the design and you want changes. It's going to happen. Everyone at Paramount and Sega are fully committed to making this character the best he can be. <laughs> Hashtag Sonic movie. Hashtag gotta fix fast. Uh, this is a pretty big deal given <sighs> that the film is set to be released, at least in America, on November 8th. Which seems like a long time for, say, us as the public, but not a very long time when you think about the campaign rollout that they're probably doing for this movie. Like, they're going to have to fix everything from, um, you know, advertisements and like, um, and, and probably even like merchandise that they already have coming yeah. down the pipeline because all of that takes a really long time. Yeah. So, this was crazy to me that a big studio actually listened to. Uh, what could very well be like a small minority online, it's always kind of hard to gauge, especially when animosity is coming from Twitter. And if you're curious, specifically, people were a little creeped out by Sonic's very realistic legs and also human-like teeth. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like flabbergasted. I can't believe that this is happening. What did you Have you guys yeah. heard about this? What do you think about this? Oh, my God. That it was like the personification of a cringe like, if a cringe could look like something, that's what it would look like. It's so bad. It looks like a dude at, like, a theme park in one of the big animal costumes or, like, creature costumes, except it's Sonic. It's so wrong. It doesn't bother me as much as it does everyone else. I get where y'all are coming from, especially the teeth. The teeth are weird for some reason. Because he's a hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, right. I do find him cute no nah no okay it was very like uncanny valley it was no so but yeah pam to your point it's just shocking that they might actually like what are they going to do i i guess maybe they can't remove the teeth right that would be weird they could redesign them though yeah but then like what if you make them pointy like real hedgehog teeth wouldn't that scare the children that would be very menacing yeah they should just should not have done anything <laughs> like they shouldn't have released this statement just stuck with it and people would get used to this sonic 
and then everything would be fine. Like, is the appearance of Sonic really going to affect the box office? If it's a really good movie, I don't think it matters. It's probably not a good movie, and and fixing his appearance isn't going to change anything. And honestly, that was my other thought process, because by going back and fixing something, you're basically allocating funds to that, assuming you're going to make them up in the box office. So it's it's pretty uh, crazy that they think that they're going to be able to do that on a movie yeah. that's already getting bad reviews based on the trailer. And at the same time, it is a kid's movie, and usually parents turn out for that stuff. They end up doing okay. But there have been instances in which kids' movies completely flop and the studios are out money. So it's a huge gamble, in my opinion. Well, I think the big factor here is that this movie, I mean, it is a kid's movie, but it's also banking on the nostalgia factor of people in our age group, which is where most of the criticism came from. So they're probably thinking that if they don't get good turnout from the millennials, that may play a role in underperformance at the box office. And at the very least, they probably don't want the bad bad publicity. And I'm sure Sega doesn't want this attached to their reputation because, you know, it's their fucking character. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, and who's to say that the the sonic makeover is actually going to be for the better like what if he gets even worse because now we're all accustomed to this sonic and we're gonna have to face a new sonic and we don't know if he's necessarily going to be better i think this is all just very risky yeah and i also just i also saw that people didn't like the humor in the trailer or like how jim carrey looked so there seems to be like more problems than just yeah. Sonic's Which appearance. Which is really funny because I think Jim Carrey's going to be the saving grace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I agree. Thought so too. <laughs> I thought that was perfect casting. <laughs> Laura, were you a Sega kid growing up? Uh, I was primarily a PlayStation kid, but all of okay. my friends had Sega, so okay. I played it pretty frequently. I was talking to Amalia about this and hashing it out. I didn't have a Sega, but one of my friends had Sega, and Sonic was the only game I would play on it. And I would look forward to going over to this one guy's house because he was the one with the Sega. I was a Nintendo boy. Did you play, Pam? Yeah, I did. We uh, did a lot of PlayStation and Nintendo at the house, but my first console was a Nintendo. Yeah. I have a soft spot for Mario and... Yeah, Donkey Donkey Kong. We played a lot of Donkey Kong. That was really fun. I just don't understand why they couldn't base their model off of (laughs) the existing character. Right. I'm wondering if it also has to do with the timing. Because Detective Pikachu comes out this weekend. Everybody's really looking forward to it. And they got the Pokemon right, it seems. Like, nobody yes. seems to have a problem so far with yeah, the appearance of the Pokemon. Yeah, except for Jigglypuff. That was a big controversy. I don't mind Jigglypuff. I think Mr. Mime is the weirdest looking one because he's yeah, got skin. Yeah, if you want to talk about creepy, Mr. Mime is way creepier than Sonic. But Pikachu, the star, he looks 100. So you, yeah. you pit him against Sonic and it's just, ugh. Well, and That's isn't hard. Mr. Mime kind of supposed to be creepy anyway? Like, I never thought of Mr. Mime as a cute Pokemon. Yeah, you're not like, oh, Mr. Mime's so cute. I just want to cuddle him. (laughs) Right. You're like, if I caught one of those, I'd be releasing it back to the wild. Yeah, I'd send it back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
part of me thinks final thought on this that this oh we're gonna make over sonic is a bluff because this animation takes months and months to do and now they're gonna replace it all and like pam said with the the marketing and the 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 merchandising as well i don't buy it i think he's bullshitting i guess we'll see Mm -hmm. moving on to a story that is more disturbing than this, but not at all funny. Uh, YouTube singer Alex Jones, not Alex Jones, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's another creep. Yeah. YouTube singer Austin Jones has been sentenced for 10 years in prison for soliciting sexually explicit videos from underage girls. I'm sure we all heard about this, but just to give a brief overview, Jones is known for his acapella covers of popular songs and... No shock here. Most of his fans are teenage girls. Uh, he was arrested originally in 2017 for production of child pornography after he enticed six underage girls to make pornographic videos of themselves and send them to him. Worth noting here, some of these girls were as young as 14 years old. And he was able to solicit the videos by asking the girls to prove that they were, quote, some of his biggest fans and that they were, quote, part of a modeling opportunity, and he would help them get more followers on Instagram. Hmm. This is so fucking gross. Did anyone here ever follow him on YouTube, or, like, were y'all aware of him? I didn't follow him, but I remember when this story broke. Um, I, I used to watch uh, Philip DeFranco a lot, who does, he does, like, news stuff on YouTube. That's, like, his thing. And I remember him doing a package on this and he kind of went into detail because he thought it was very important for uh, anybody that stumbled upon the video to really understand just how terrible it was and the specifics of what he said he was doing uh, or forcing these girls to do or coercing them to do is disgusting and everybody should be appalled. Yeah, actually, yeah, I actually uh, saw that video too. Uh, so uh, I remembered him from that, from like the, uh, I don't know, it was in, wasn't it in 2017 or something? Yeah. Yeah, that was the first time I heard about him. And like uh, Pamela was saying, he was like continually asking the girls to tell, tell him that they were 14. So it was really creepy. Yeah, it was really Ugh, creepy. So fucked up. And I thought this was an interesting story to cover because... On this panel, you know, we've been involved in fandom most of our lives, if not the entirety of our young lives. And we've definitely seen cases of popular figures taking advantage of their status to exploit youthful naivete, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, 100%. we have. Yep. Uh, these people pop up in my Facebook feeds from time to time. I'm like, how are you still around? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so interesting because of course at the time we were young ourselves and I remember at the time not being super like I didn't gravitate towards these individuals like a lot of other people did because I just found them kind of skeevy in general, but I didn't realize what the extent of <laughs> of the uh the behavior was until much later when uh, some of the victims started speaking out on yeah. social media and yeah. it all clicked. It was like, oh, yeah, that that makes total sense. And so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about how does this impact our views on fandom? Um, and do we think that we're more aware of the potential for this kind of behavior now that we've kind of 
seen it somewhat firsthand. You know what I always wonder? So, Laura, we were 18, 19, Mm -hmm. a little younger even, when we were attending these events and the tours and stuff like that. We were young, but there were people in the fandom who were a lot older, including these predators, but other people around these predators. I'm inclined to think that we would say something. These people who were the elders at the time were not saying things. I know. We can look back in hindsight and be like, yeah, of course we would say something. I truly hope so. But I also wonder, is it because now we're in this era where we feel like, yeah, we absolutely would have said something. I honestly don't know. I I also think it comes down to naivety. I don't think I was... um, I know I definitely was not as embedded as you two were, but I... You know, it's one of those things that like once you get to a certain level, once you go so deep, uh, you kind of start hearing rumors and it's less people explicitly telling you details and more people looking out for you saying like, oh, yeah, like maybe don't hang out with that person, mm-hmm. which yeah. I thought was crazy. Like it, it's I mean, good that there are people looking out, but it, it looking back, it's kind of shocking that instead of doing something about it. It's kind of like saying complacent if you know and you are older. Yeah, definitely. I know like when I was working on MuggleNet and this was like before we even started going to conventions. So I would have been like 15. And remember we had like staff bios on like the About Us page and it had a picture of us and we got to write a little bio about ourselves. There was one, I think I told you about this when it happened, Andrew, because I was like, what the fuck do I do? Um, There was one guy, he was significantly older. He worked on the website. I think he was in his 30s. And he started IMing me on AIM, (laughs) which really dates me right now, but whatever. (laughs) That's how it all started back then. Yeah. And he started messaging me and it was kind of under the guise of like, well, we both work on the website. So we're just like coworkers chatting And it very quickly escalated to him, like, basically doing, like, the 2005 version of sliding into my DMs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I mentioned it. I mentioned it to, like, senior staff who were in positions to do something about it. And I don't want to say that they didn't believe me, but it was more that it took a couple more instances of him doing it to other female staffers before he finally got fired. Mm-hmm. That even happened after we all left MuggleNet. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy named Keith, he he got fired a couple of years ago for being a fucking creep towards women. Mm-hmm. And good thing they did something about it. It's a real shame. I, I can't, you know, even though I don't know how I would have acted as the elder back then when I saw other people in bad situations, I know for sure I would never be one of these people that were actually making moves on other people. Hell I wouldn't, no. I wouldn't even think about it because I'm too insecure. Always have been, always will be. <laughs> but that aside, these people are just a certain way. They are effing creeps. And in the case of Austin Jones, like there has to be something seriously wrong for you for you to be doing this with underage girls like wow yeah underage anybody you know yeah yeah of course and i think that's it's always such a shame because there are creators out there um and just people in general who are able to connect with young people in a way that is totally above board 
Um, like I think about a lot of like YA authors out there who, whose audiences are primarily teenagers and adolescents and everything is above board, um, with these creators. And it just sucks because someone comes along like this and they get a similar kind of situation set up and then they exploit it and they, they ruin the fun for everyone, you know? Mm hmm. They do. You you just have to be vigilant, right? So if, if somebody starts talking to you, it's it's hard as a victim because oh my god, this person is actually talking to me. I could right. never imagine this in my wildest dreams, and you fall for their tricks. So it's really hard to resist. Oh yeah, when I think about my mentality as a 15 year old, I definitely thought that I was more mature than I was. Yeah, um, and I think that had somebody that I really admired started taking advantage of that, I probably would have been incredibly susceptible. Yeah, because you think without any, you know, you you just, you, you aren't able to compute that this person actually might be a predator. You think that they actually are interested in you. And also, I think, you know, like they used to say that, like, you bring TV into your homes. And so that's why people sometimes they relate more not not so much like now because movies are also a huge part of culture but for a really long time like the shows you would bring in it's kind of like those characters are family and i think it's a similar phenomenon with these social media influencers especially on platforms like youtube because it's so much more personal they're talking straight into the camera they're talking straight to you I know that, you know, I, I definitely like have watched people on that platform for a really long time. I think mm-hmm. I know that I'm old enough now, you know, not to get involved in something like this, but maybe if this had happened when I was 16, I would have thought, well, like, of course, because I know them and they care about me, you know? So you're much more susceptible to that because it's like, and that that's like the dangerous part. That's why there's all these um, rules now about um, advertising on these platforms because we're starting to understand just how much influence these people have, especially over younger minds. Definitely. And I think, I mean, this extends further into discussions we've had previously, like about Michael Jackson and um, Bill Cosby, right? Like these were people who were incredibly influential in their communities and came with an air of like trust and being able to really make fe- people feel special. Yeah. So it's it's super easy to get swept up in all of this, especially when you're young. So um, I know that this isn't something that <laughs> it was different back when we were like in the heyday of MuggleCast because we were so young and so much of our audience was young. But a lot of our audience has grown up with us. So we're all like kind of you know, adults at this point. But every now and then I get surprised because we'll hear from like a really young listener on MuggleCast. And it's definitely good to be aware of the fact that we still have young people in this community. And while I don't think that it's productive to assume that there's danger lurking around every corner, because that's just not a healthy way to live. It is something that we have to be vigilant about. The good thing that's come out of this Austin Jones situation is it sends a message to others. You will be prosecuted for doing this. And you will get caught because you're doing all this digitally over these platforms who can pull your information and submit it in court. So Mm -hmm. you're fucking fucked. We have a word from another sponsor this week. They are HoneyBook. 
I'm really excited about these guys because many of our listeners are people who either have side hustles or have their own full-time businesses or might be aspiring to create one. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that lets you control your client communication, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. If you're struggling with tedious administrative tasks, let HoneyBook do the work and make you look good. When I find potential clients who actually aren't scamming me thousands of dollars, I can create invoices and have clients pay me right through HoneyBook. That makes it easy and safe to accept payments while also keeping my bookkeeping organized. You can also create beautiful proposals and contracts, and right through HoneyBook, you can accept signatures. You'll look like you have your shit together with all these tools, and because of that, your clients will want to keep coming back to you. Over 75,000 photographers, designers, event professionals, and other entrepreneurs have saved hundreds to thousands of hours a year thanks to HoneyBook's suite of beautiful and easy-to-use tools. It's your business just better with HoneyBook. Right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off your first year with promo code MILL. Payment is flexible, which is great for small business owners. And this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to HoneyBook.com and use promo code M-I-L-L for 50% off your first year. Get paid faster and work smarter with HoneyBook.com, promo code M-I-L-L. So, Amalia, let's turn our attention to you now. You wanted to talk about the growing right-wing extremism and neo-Nazism happening over in Europe, which, of course, is a big topic, so we're, we're going to try to uh, summarize it as best as possible. To start, can you tell us what the current situation is over there in Europe? Yeah. Um, so I thought we can talk a little about both far right, but also like populism. And it's kind of important so we don't piss off uh, that many people that being extremist far right and far right and populism are like not the same things. But mm. Yeah. But they're a new thing in Europe. I mean, populistic parties have never been this big. So there was a study done by The Guardian and uh, I think they called Timbro, a think tank. And they found that um, 22% supported, uh, well, basically populistic parties in Europe right now. And 16 of them are on the right side. So mostly right-winged parties. And this is like a quite a big increase from the last 20 years uh, and we've also seen some very far-right parties uh, for example uh, the party that's in government in Poland now which is called jo- Law, Law and Justice Party PIS I think it is they're like really far-right um, anti-abortion, anti-gay uh, they have uh, extreme say, policies on journalists so you get fired if you don't report what they want and this is a growing trend um, right now we well you have uh, big far-right parties in Sweden uh, in Italy in Hungary France uh, Spain just had an election and Vox uh, I don't know how you say it in Spanish. Uh, it's V-O-X. They actually got 10% of the votes, which doesn't seem that big, but they're a pretty 
far-right populistic party. And it's not that long ago that Spain had fascism. So the fact mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, a party that is both popular, yeah, stands for populism and is so extreme could get 10% is a pretty big deal. Yeah, that seems like if the Tea Party here in America had gotten 10% of the vote. Yeah, it is. And that would be pretty scary. I mean, the politics in Europe is a bit different. It's usually does a lot of smaller parties. I know it's not like a two party system like you have in the US, but still 10% is quite a lot. Uh, and the situation in Norway is a bit different because technically we have a populistic party in the government right now. They're called FRP, um, or FRP, and I guess they would be the Progress Party uh, in English. And they had 22% um, of the votes in 2009, but they were in opposition, so they weren't in the government. And they actually went down to 15 when they got into government. And now they're down to 13. So what we've seen is that they get less votes when they're in government. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them like a far right party. They're the, the furthest right you come in Norway, but they do have some people. I don't know if you, uh, this is woman called Sylvie Listerg in the party and she's caused quite a lot of scandals for example she's the one who jumped in the mediterranean ocean because she wanted to feel what um all the refugees were feeling but she jumped with one of those like big survival suits so she just looked like a big floating cheeto uh (laughs) yeah and supposedly she felt their pain through that and she celebrated that a seven-year-old boy was being kicked out of norway a refugee boy, and she actually got kicked out of government because she wrote on her Facebook uh, Facebook page that the Labour Party would rather protect terrorists uh, than protect Norway, which I don't know if you guys remember what happened here on the 22nd of July. There was a big massacre um, mm-hmm. on the Youth Party, and that was the Labour's Youth Party. So saying that about the Labour Party... Um, didn't exactly make yeah give her many friends so there's like there's some left then there's some kind of inside that party there's some people which are kind of moving the discussion to towards the right and that's kind of what's happening all over europe i don't know how much you guys covered cover european politics actually in the u.s uh not a lot at all and that's part of the reason why um, U.S. literacy on <laughs> global affairs is so poor. Um, I think, I think, for example, you talking about all of these different parties and where they fall at different points along the spectrum. If you were to be giving this lecture to like a classroom full of Americans, you would probably lose a lot of people because they can't conceive of something that's not a two party system. Yeah, exactly. And it's so interesting because. You're describing the Progressive Party just now, right? Yeah, but they're like, they're as far right as you'll come yeah, in Norway, basically, so it's, yeah. It, is that intended to be a misnomer or? 
<laughs> I don't know. It might be. Uh, I actually don't know where the name is from, but yeah. So it's it, it would be it would translate to the Progressive Party. Um, so uh, a step forward would also be uh, a translation, but that's more direct. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends on how you define progress. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's like the. The situation in Northern Europe is pretty much the same. Actually, in Denmark, the same happened. They had uh, also, a, but they were even further right uh, than uh, Norway's uh, party. This is getting complicated. Uh, and they got in government <laughs> and they also lost votes. And we just had an election in Sweden. And they're kind of a bit different because their party, um, which is called the Sweden Democrats, they used to be basically a Nazi party. Like they were started by racists and neo-Nazis, but they're like trying to distance themselves. So they're like firing anyone who says anything racist and everything, but everyone knows that that's their roots and they still mm -hmm. ended up getting 20% of the votes uh, in Sweden. It's a bit alarming. And like, yeah, yeah. What, what we see is that all of the populistic parties, uh, they're an anti-immigration. Uh, and very, very um, many of them are therefore anti-Islam uh, and anti-Muslims, uh, which uh -huh. has created a lot of divide in Europe. And if you go to Eastern Europe, which, um, for example, with the Poland, uh, with the Polish party, Law and Justice, they're also really, really anti-gay anti-women anti-abortion so poland used to have the strongest abortion law and they changed it so now you can't even get an abortion if you get raped uh, they're really anti-gay and around 17 70 uh, percent of all lgbt um, people struggle with suicidal thoughts in poland and we're also seeing this in france where uh, lgbt Q people get beat up. I think it was three times a day on average. Uh, there's what? that. Yeah. Oh my God. So, uh, like, it seems like gay rights actually in Europe are going the wrong way, and it's kind of seems to coincide with this rise in populism and just divide and hate, which is kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're definitely not alone. I would say that. Um Immigration is definitely a wedge issue here as well, and has inspired a lot of the same hate and discord that you're describing. What I find interesting, though, is the rise, or I guess the second rising of Nazism, it seems, in Europe, um, especially given how recently Europe dealt with fascism. You mentioned Spain a little bit earlier. Francisco Franco died in like the 70s, right? Like there are yeah, people I think it's alive now. Yeah. yeah, who very much remember that. And it's shocking to me. It is. Uh, it's, that they would have these kinds of numbers. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what everyone's been saying. Like, if there's like one place it can't happen, it's going to be like Spain and uh, Germany and Italy. And Italy also has a pretty far right uh, government now uh, he's also very anti-gay and very conservative and anti-immigration uh, 
So these are like two countries which have had real fascism problems and doesn't really seem like, I don't want to say they're fascists because that's like the extreme, but we're, we're going one way and it doesn't seem that is changing. So when you also have like a far right party in Germany getting a lot of votes, uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. Right. So I know mm. you already mentioned immigration, but I was wondering if we could dig a little deeper and kind of talk about what some other contributing factors you might think exist that could have led to this. Yeah. Because uh, clearly we're having like a right wing resurgence across the globe. Yeah. So uh, at least, well, it's kind of, it's a bit of the same problems in the US and Europe. So what happened was that when the financial crisis hit in Europe, it hit really hard and it hit the countries that were in the EU. Like Norway is not actually part of uh, the EU. We just, we have an uh, agreement where we don't use the euro. But everyone that did, a lot of them uh, suffered under it. And the financial crisis hit pretty hard. And there's now a lot more disparity between wages and just living conditions in Norway. And then in, well, 2015, there was a big refugee crisis. I don't know if I think you probably heard about it because it was covered Mm -hmm. pretty extensive. Uh, So Europe kind of got flooded with refugees that no one knew what to do with. So Germany took in, I think it was like 1.3 million or something, and then didn't integrate them. And a lot of them died on the ocean. A lot of them got stuck in Greece, and then Greece closed their borders. And then they got stuck in Italy, and Italy closed their borders. And then they went to Spain, and just no one wanted to deal with the problem. So that's where a lot of like the anti-immigration especially from Muslim countries comes from. And yeah, and then like the year after Trump and Brexit happened. So uh, <laughs> there was a lot. I think I think like financial crisis, refugee crisis, and probably to some extent Trump and Brexit are like the main factors which really have like mm-hmm. changed things. To what extent do you think things like the election of Donald Trump and Brexit influenced the politics in the rest of Europe? Oh, uh, that's a hard question. Well, um, actually, the day uh, where it would be like our morning uh, after Trump got elected, it kind of felt like someone died in a way. <laughs> like people were sh- felt that way here yeah, too. Yeah, but like here people too. were shocked. <laughs> and I was in uni at the time and like, everyone was like, someone died, this is not right. And people had been streaming the election and just like basically went to bed or started crying. Uh, So that hit pretty hard, but I don't... I think a lot of, at least how it felt in Norway, was that uh, it allowed people to say much more awful things. It just opened for rhetoric that really hasn't uh, hasn't been used before, and I think a lot of like politicians saw that it worked. Like this is a model that we could use. But then again, you also have um, I can't remember his name, but the prime minister in Israel also had a lot of the same politics actually before Trump, oh. 
Yeah, Netanyahu. exactly. Uh, so I think I think it kind of opened the floodgates, but there was a problem there. Like it's not Trump's fault that this is happening, but he didn't help. Uh, no, and. No, he definitely fueled the fire. Yeah. I mean, he showed that people like him could get elected. Exactly. And I also think that the U.S. is kind um we kind of call you guys the world police. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. Uh, oh, yeah. We, we, we think that we yeah. are, too. Exactly. America, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, so... Trump doesn't really want anything to do with with any other countries. Like he's uh, he's pulling you guys out of the climate uh, accords, and he's threatening NATO and all of these like big organizations that uh, Europe has kind of relied on to keep working together. So when that happens, and the U.S. kind of isn't part of like the global market anymore, you get more and more nationalism which again has a tendency to breed far right and populism. So I think that's also a factor, just that it seems like the US doesn't have such a big part to play in Europe anymore. And then of course, Brexit just went, happened in England, just went, fuck you guys. So uh, there's that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see what they do come Halloween. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Probably push their deadline back another six months. Probably, yeah. I know you mentioned some leaders earlier on in the discussion, but I was curious, are there any particular right-wing figures or even just dangerous leaders that you're seeing in Europe right now at all um, that you wish people in the United States were more aware of? I think mainly what is happening in Eastern Europe worries me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um in Poland and in Hungary for in some extent but especially in Poland because everything seemed like it happened so fast I mean I'm not an expert on Polish politics but like from an outside perspective it just seemed like seemed like they went to went from zero to a hundred and everything is just mm-hmm. really strict and they're uh they've been replacing judges that that don't support the government and they've been changing mm. what they teach in school to fit like um, a culture of like ethnic Polish people first. Uh, so this so all that, sounds like stuff Trump would want to do. Yeah, I was going to say they're doing the same things here. Exactly. So and that kind of yeah worries me. So probably yeah, what's happening in Eastern Europe because for me, which uh, since I'm in Norway and Sweden's our neighbor. Uh, neighbors that also of course affects us a lot so uh yeah but i don't know for the u.s just i don't know generally european politics probably <laughs> i mean <laughs> that figurehead sure. yeah, yeah like we we should definitely vary our news outlets more than we do yeah I, I think a, this. a problem for a lot of americans is simply that we have a hard enough time wrapping our heads around american politics so then to extend beyond to go overseas is just like, oh, yeah. No, well, I think part of it, too, is that our news outlets, at least the major ones, do a terrible job on international affairs. Yeah. It's really fucking bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, I mean, I think a lot of people in Norway feel the same way. A lot of people don't really pay attention to what is happening around them. I mean, I 
the state channel is pretty good with like uh, news. So I think a lot of people at least get some input from there. But just all of like, I listen to a lot of like podcasts about news just from Norway. And a lot of the information I have here is actually from like small documentaries and stuff. Like I didn't really know about cool. how bad it was for um, LGBTQ in Europe right now before I watched some uh, one of the documents. So yeah, is there a news outlet in Norway that you particularly like that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Uh, well, everything's in Norwegian, so I don't really know if it will help them. Uh, I mean, Pete Buttigieg <laughs> learned Norwegian, so we can pop it yeah, into Google Translate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We know this. It's been reported. <laughs> Give us a source. Don't say we're us. What what sources do you read? Sources. Yeah, I do. I really like the state channel, actually, in a way, which is maybe a little bit weird for you guys. I don't the know. The state channel? Like state? No, it's it's called uh, Anarko. So N-R-K. Oh. It's the Norwegian. Uh, I see. Yeah, okay. So it's like a state-funded channel. And they're usually pretty good at being not being very biased and the reporting is very good mm-hmm. uh, so i really like them and a lot of the podcasts are from them as well that's what i love about the bbc by the way it's it's yeah they're, li- state they're, funded. they're like the bbc basically they're the norwegian bbc Can't that's be biased. actually really good though. yeah yeah uh, and the rest is just a lot of newspapers actually different norwegian newspapers so uh well, thank you so much for all of this insight. This was really interesting. Yeah, we appreciate it. Because as we've been getting at here, we Americans, not as up on it as we should be. Laura probably is more than <laughs> us other two. Well, more than anything else, I just think this should drive home for everyone that a lot of the same issues that we're hearing about here in the States are being echoed by others around the world. Yeah. Here's my millennial resolution, this week's resolution. I'm going to try to find a news source, maybe just the New York Times world section. Maybe start reading that. I I just want to get a good digest of the world every day. I I will recommend um, the Christian Science Monitor, which is one of the newspapers that was required to be subscribed to when I was studying international relations. I feel like they do a pretty good job for a print news source of... uh, uh, covering a lot of stuff. So, okay. Yeah, BBC World. checked in on them in a while, but. <laughs> there was a big European story today, of course. I'm sure, Pam, you were all over it. There's a new royal baby. Yeah, may or may not have shed a tear this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know what? There's a, like a lack of happy, feel good news stories, and Prince Harry just looked like a proud dad, as he should, and it just made me really emotional. That's so sweet. I love that you're obsessed with the royal family. That's that's delightful. <laughs> it's like it's a bright light in the face of a lot of the other stuff that's been coming out. So, have the media been a little kinder to Kate Middleton than they have been in the past in terms of how she looked post pregnancy and everything? Well, they're not. Sh- you mean like it uh, towards Meghan Markle? Or no, excuse me, yeah. Well, she's not out, like, she hasn't come out yet. They're, it's it's not going to be, like, a big thing, because, you know, Kate came out hours after giving birth. It, from what I heard, it's, they're going to do, like, a photo shoot on the grounds in a couple days, and it's just, like, one journalist, one photographer, and that's it, which I think is really nice that she doesn't yeah, have to good for them. bend to the pressure. Fuck that. 
why should somebody have to push a human being out of their hoo-ha and then put on high heels and a dress and do hair and makeup and then go stand outside? Exactly. Their, like, fuck that. I would tell them no pictures at all. Sorry, mom. Either that or I'd be like, no, I want you to photograph me in my natural habitat right now, <laughs> which is I look like I just gave birth. And if you don't like it, suck my dick. I took a picture of my sister about two hours after she gave birth, and I only did it because she was having her first beer in like eight months. <laughs> so it was like a special moment that I wanted to document, but I did not post it online. That would have been wrong. By the way, ladies, what are we uh, talking about in After Dark today? We're going to be talking about issues that are on millennials' minds that don't get a ton of news coverage. So this was actually inspired by a Reddit thread wherein millennials were talking about issues that concern us for our future about things like job automation, overpopulation, antibiotic resistant bacteria, and a number of other things. So we're using that as a jumping off point to talk about our own uh, concerns for the future that we don't feel like are getting enough attention. Okay, that'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial. We really appreciate your support over there. It is what keeps this show funded. Amalia, thank you for supporting us at the Facebook official level. We really appreciate it. And I know you've been a longtime listener and supporter. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you for today. You were fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I hope I hope it made sense. It's a lot. It did. <laughs> it did. It definitely did. Yeah. I've been very entertained every time you speak, honestly, because your Google photo is a picture of you and four of your friends <laughs> at what looks like a prom or something. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I noticed it when I logged on. Uh, yeah, it's at like this um, I don't know, celebration that we have at university every year. So okay. yeah, kind of a prom. Yeah, you're, you're the five of you dressed up. You're staring into the camera. It's it it's very fun. Like a fun time, yeah. <laughs> I want to go was. to that. It's really fun. <laughs> One of you is making a duck face. Oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been lulled into like a state of comfort during this conversation by your beautiful accent. Aww. Every time you speak, I'm just like, oh, so nice. Yeah, oh, thank yeah. you. Amalia will stick around with us for after dark today. Amalia, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, so I actually wrote a Sucker Punch by Sigrid. I don't know if anyone's heard about her, but she's an artist. She just released her first album, and it's basically perfect. It came out in March, and it's on Spotify, so everyone should check it out. Spotify is the big streamer over there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and she is a Norwegian singer, I see. Uh, we'll use that as our closing song today. Okay. Ooh, good idea. My recommendation is a standing desk. <laughs> and I just want to add a footnote to this for now. Uh, I, When I was living in California the, for, the fa- for the last few months, I had a standing desk and I enjoyed it. But then when I moved out of California, I had to get as rid of as much as possible because I was only bringing with me what I could fit in my car. So that had to go. But over the past few weeks as i've been doing more podcast editing actually i've wanted to stand up more because you just got to really be attached to your computer you got to have your your hands on the keyboard and mouse at all times and i just wanted to mix it up more and i thought a good way to do that would be get a standing desk have any of you ever used a standing desk yeah i have one at work yeah same how often do you all use it a day i try to stand for at least a couple hours 
during my day. Oh, that's a lot. I mean, sometimes I'm better about it than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I'm pretty successful. I, I haven't tracked my usage, but I kind of move around when I'm working, especially since I work from home. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I feel like it helps a lot with posture because sometimes if I'm sitting, I don't even realize that I've been hunched over for so long. Yeah. And I just feel like my back feels better because I'm standing up straight, you know? Like I'm yeah. probably still slouching, but not as much as I would be if I was sitting down. Yeah. And Amalia, you said you use one too? Yeah, it's the same. It depends on what I'm doing, like how much I'm walking around and how many meetings. So, uh, yeah. So I, I got mine last week and I like it. It is, it is refreshing. It can give me an extra productivity boost because, okay, I'm standing up now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's also saving your life because the amount of time that we spend sitting is literally slowly killing us. And I do feel more productive when I'm standing up. I feel like I can get more stuff done. It's interesting. I don't know if it's a mind game or what, but it's not because when you stand up, um, things like your blood pressure drop, not an unhealthy amount, of course, but like, it definitely helps with things like reducing your cholesterol levels over time and increasing mental stimulation. There have been a lot of studies done into it. It is very good for you. Good, good. So if anyone's curious, um, I bought the Vivo height adjustable standing desk. This one was 140 bucks on Amazon. This is one of those ones that you put on top of your existing desk. You don't get a whole new desk. So check it out. Maybe give it a shot if you're looking to give yourself a little productivity and health boost. Speaking of health, I wanted to recommend a YouTuber... I've been watching more of lately. Um, it's her account name is Jordan Shrinks. And she has this really amazing tale of how she lost 130 pounds. Uh, and she documented her whole experience on social media. When she started out, she was 300 pounds. Um, and she got into down to like 160, 170. Um, but she's just so open and human about her experiences and also really non-judgmental about the kinds of questions she gets. So she's always really happen- happy to answer um, most of the questions that people ask her in like a very open and humorous way. Um, and she like even goes so far as like she had skin removal surgery after she lost weight And she did a whole video where she actually showed like what her loose skin looked like before she had the surgery. So she's just very open with herself. And I always find that to be an admirable, admirable quality in someone. Um, And I just find her to be really inspiring and funny. Also, her makeup game is on point. So Uh, yeah, I was just going to say you straight guys out there, if you're into goth girls... Definitely check her out. Looking at her now. <laughs> okay, just because she wears dark lipstick doesn't make her a goth girl. I wear dark lipstick. It's I'm more than that. Girl. I don't know. Some of these pictures, it's all black and white. Hey, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying. If you're into that. <laughs> she has a boyfriend, so, you know, just throwing that out there. That just makes her hotter. <laughs> oh, my God. Off limits. <laughs> Uh, Pam, what's your recommendation? Uh, well, my recommendation is very fitting given that you asked me about the royal baby. It doesn't have to do with babies, but it does have to do with royals. Um, I wanted to recommend a book that's actually coming out next Tuesday, May 14th called Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. Um, it is an LGBT romance that centers on the first son falling in love with the Prince of Wales. And it's 
really, huh. really good. I was very pleasantly surprised. It's a true gem and it's really smart and funny. And the characters are like super fleshed out. It's a little bit steamy too, if you're into that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's really nice, you know, to kind of see more books coming out in the mainstream that uh, represent more than, you know, the typical uh, hero. And in this case, other hero or protagonist and other protagonist. So I really enjoyed it. And I highly recommend checking it out when it comes out next Tuesday. Uh, did you mention how you got this early? Are you on some list or something? I, I think I must be. I got an arc. Well, why didn't I get an arc? I'm a somebody know. who's gay. <laughs> I don't know. I might have signed up. See, like I use Goodreads a lot. And every once in a while, they'll send out you oh. know um, things about authors and stuff like that. And if you follow authors on Twitter... Uh, you can like, especially first time authors like Casey McQuiston, um, you can, you know, uh, email for giveaways and stuff like that because they're trying to get pressed for books. But yeah, it's really good. That makes sense because this book already has a ton of great reviews on yeah, Goodreads. It's, I highly recommend it. Cool. I like gay fiction. I'm definitely going to check this out. Thank you for suggesting it. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Amalia. Bye, everybody. See ya. I'm awake for you. Maybe you can change. (laughs) That is not the song. What did you choose? (laughs) What is this? I don't know what I, right. I was so confused I was for like, a second. Not, I listened to that album. Definitely not her. <laughs> I thought I had hit play on it, but I guess I didn't. So it just played my last plate song. The stairs. We're both in a hurry. That's the minute when there's no.